why don't we just lift our hands this morning? There's faith in this place, anything can happen. Just lift your hands out to God and let's be expectant for Him to shift our hearts, to shift our lives. Holy Spirit, we welcome you this morning. We wait on you. Our expectation is of you, Lord. We look beyond our circumstance. We look to you. We look beyond ourselves and we look to the cross. Jesus, this morning, we ask you to have your way. Not just to be on our plans, but that we would get on your plan. As your hands and feet, God, let faith rise in our hearts this morning as we hear your word in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Amen. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Oh, I got a reply. That wasn't rhetorical. Uh, you never know when, when you don't prime things, you don't know if you get a response or not. But uh, that's great. We're all on board. Thanks very much, team. Great job. That was awesome. Thank the music team. You can have a seat this morning. You have to excuse me if I drink a lot today because we are cleaning houses all day yesterday and we had dinner at 10 o'clock which was pizza and lots of it. <laughs> and pizza is salty and it makes you thirsty. So uh, I'm sticking with that. Well, for those that don't know me, my name's Nathan, I'm part of the team here, and I've been given the, the great privilege of being able to bring the word this morning, and God's laid something on my heart over the last week, which I believe is a word in season, so open up your hearts, your minds, and let's let God speak to us. You know, one thing uh, I discovered when I was reading this week is, who knows what the word omniscience means? few people. It's two words, omni meaning all and science meaning knowing, all knowing. It's one of these attributes which we give to God, that he's all knowing. Well, I was questioning this a little bit this week as I was reading my Bible. Because for, for a God that knows everything, he seems to ask a lot of questions. <laughs> Does anyone notice that? Like in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. So we've got Adam and Eve in the garden, they've sinned, then they're hiding from God. And God asks this, he says, where are you? I mean, and what happened was, was God the Father talking to the Holy Spirit and he's going, oh, you know, Holy Spirit, I've got this real big problem because, you know, the man I created, well, then I created this woman and he's always running off with her and now I can't find him again. So where, where did I put that man? Have you seen him? Is he under a tree? Is he, is he over there? Where did I put him? Did God really lose Adam? That would be embarrassing, wouldn't it? <laughs> or maybe he was asking that to cause Adam to think and reflect on what he had done. There was a, a purpose in his question. What about in 1 Kings 19.9? Here we've got the great prophet Elijah He's had this incredible showdown with the prophets of Baal, 850 of them, all slaughtered and fire and stuff going on. And then this one woman, Jezebel, says, Elijah, I'm going to kill you. 
and he gets all scared and he runs away. And some miraculous things happen. God provides for him with birds and he sits under a tree that grows overnight and he's got this shade. And then he ends up in this cave and God says, can we put that on the screen, Jaden? 1 Kings 19.9. That's not the right one. Maybe it's the next verse. 19.10. Anyway, he said, <laughs> what, what are you doing here, Elijah? Why did he ask Elijah that? I mean, again, was God just sort of walking down the road? And he's like, oh, oh, Elijah, Elijah, I wasn't expecting to see you here. How you doing, man? I haven't seen you for ages. What you doing here, Elijah? Hey, what's going down? I mean, <laughs> did God really not know why Elijah was there? Or was he trying to pry something out of Elijah to help him realize that he'd strayed from God's purpose? And he was running away in fear and he came to take away that fear and set him back on course for his next mission. God asked interesting questions. In uh, John chapter 6, we've got all these people following Jesus and they're getting hot and they're getting hungry. And they need to eat. And Jesus asks this incredible question. Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He was asking Philip, but it's a bit broader to all the apostles. He's like, where are we going to get bread for these guys? Come on, who's, who's got the app? Where's Coles? <laughs> we, need, we need to put in a big order. In fact, we need Woolworths as well. There's a lot of people. In fact, we even need Otto's. Otto's Bakery, they can bake as well. We need a lot of bread because we've got a lot of people to feed. How are we going to do this, guys? It seems that Jesus was asking a strange question. But it says in that same verse, in John 6, verse 5, he did this to test them because he knew what he would do. His question was trying to pry something out. Oh, one more example. In Mark chapter 5, we've got a woman who's been suffering with bleeding for 12 years and she's thinking, if I can just touch the tip of Jesus' garment, I'm going to be healed. And so Jesus, with people packed all around him, suddenly turns to the disciples and to the people around him and says, who touched me? Who touched my clothes? What a silly question. There's people everywhere. And the disciples saying, well, Jesus, how are you going to know who touched your clothes? There's lots of people around, you know, didn't you notice? What's it matter who touched your clothes? I'm sure we all have. But no, he knew that someone had touched his clothes. It says that he felt virtue go from him. He knew something had happened. So why did he actually ask the question? I'm sure he knew who touched his clothes. But why did he ask it? Maybe it was to bring to light this woman and her faith to give her an opportunity to give testimony to her healing. Can you see that maybe God is omniscient, maybe he is all-knowing and he's not asking questions because he doesn't know the answer. He's asking questions because he wants us to discover something. He wants us to learn something. You know, when I ask a, a three or four-year-old who might be just getting a hand on maths, if I ask them, what's two plus two? It's not because I don't know that two plus two is seven. It's, it's oh, oh, hang on, hang on, maybe I do need help. 
But we, we ask that because we're trying to use that as a learning experience to help the child learn. In algebra, instead of two plus two, you say two apples plus two apples. You're trying to get symbols instead of, you know, we ask questions to help learn. So a few, few reasons why we might ask questions, why God asks questions. It provokes our thinking. It gives us an opportunity to learn. As with the woman with the issue of blood, it gives an opportunity to share something. It can promote self-examination, cause you to look inside, or to bring attention to something of significance. So I want to look at Exodus chapter 4 as my main uh, passage this morning. I want to look at Moses. I love this guy, Moses. Let's read Exodus 4, 1 to 2. Moses answered... This is, this is his, he's in the middle of his burning bush experience. God's telling him, I want you to, to go back to Egypt and there's all these Israelites there. They've been enslaved. You know you've been there. And I want you to be the man to bring them out. And so in the midst of this, it says, Moses answered, what if they do not believe me, that God sent me, that is, or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? Is this another one of God's dumb questions? <laughs> what is that in your hand? It's like, oh God, let me tell you about this. This is the, oh, this is the shepherd's staff 2.0. It's got, it's got tungsten tip on the bottom, so no matter how many rocks you're going through, it's never going to wear down that wood. It's made from hue and pine from Tasmania. Oh, smell it, God. Oh, it's, it's even got non-slip grips, two grips here, so I can fight off bears and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> Non-sweat, it's awesome. See that crook? Laser cut to be the same shape as a sheep's neck. So I can <laughs> pull them back whenever there's something going on. And in the end, you wouldn't believe it, there's a 1500 lumen torch. So when those wolves come, shh. This. God, what do you mean? What is that in your hand? Haven't you seen this before? No, it's, it's not that God didn't know what a shepherd's staff looked like. And I wish he'd had a gadget like that would be pretty cool, but <laughs> he asked him this question because he wanted Moses to articulate what was in his hand, and he gave a very, very deep answer, a staff. <laughs> One translation says, a shepherd's staff. Why did God ask him that? Well, the staff represented who he was as a shepherd. It was what he did. He'd be out there looking after his father-in-law's sheep, Jethro. The staff represented what he did with his life. And God said, well, what's that in your hand? Causing him to, to think of it. thing is, this year, we're at the start of 2020. And it's always funny at the start of the year, you don't know how it's going to end up. At the start of last year, we didn't know we'd be ending up with bushfires in the hills at the end of the year. You know, thing, surprises happen. We don't know what the journey is before us. But for 2020, God's put this question in my heart for each one of us today. What's in your hand? What is in your hand? Is it, is it a trade? Is it something you've learnt? You're, you're good with metal. You're good with wood. You're good with electricity. 
Do you have a musical talent? What what has God put in your hand? I mean, I wish I could play bass as good as Seb, but I can't. But, you know, God's put an incredible gift in his hand to to play bass and other other instruments. I mean, there's lots of great musos here. What about the university degrees? Do we take them for granted that we... You study for three or four years and you end up with a piece of paper. But that doesn't just represent, you know, maybe I can get a job. It's something that God's put in your hand. The fact that you studied all those years in business or in occupational therapy. I know I'm speaking to a lot of people when I say that. (laughs) (laughs) Or marketing or nursing. That degree, that, that is something in your hand. Or maybe it's as simple as a passion for helping people. And that's something that God's put in your hand. Or maybe you've got a gift for study and you just want to study until you've got 10 PhDs because you just love getting your head around that stuff. That's not me, but (laughs) I've met some people like that. Maybe God's put a sense of humour in your hand. Maybe it's a sporting interest. Maybe it's skill with business in corporations or running your own business. Maybe it's wisdom in raising children. Maybe it's being able to inspire young people to make wise decisions. These are the things God's put in our hands. I want you to think this morning. I don't want you to just listen. I want you to think, what has God put in your hand? What is in your hand? Because with this question today, God's wanting to bring attention to what's in our hand. Now I want to look at the next bit of Exodus chapter 4 from verse 3. It says, The Lord said, this is regarding his stick, or his staff, or his shepherd's staff 2.0, throw it on the ground, and Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Who knows that when you design a shepherd's staff, you don't normally put into its functionality that it turns into a snake. It's sort of not how it's designed. A shepherd's staff is meant for shepherding sheep. But when God got a hold of the shepherd's staff, it found another purpose. It found that it had capabilities it didn't know that it had. Suddenly, this wasn't just a stick. This became a symbol of God's power. In Exodus 4.17, just a bit further on, we'll just jump there quickly. It says... God's saying to Moses, but take this staff in your hand so you can perform miraculous signs with it. So this staff that was a symbol of his vocation is now a tool in God's hand for the miraculous, for miracles, to lead people. What did he do with that staff? He brought plagues on Egypt by lifting up his staff. He hit a rock once with his staff and water came out of it and, and, and gave water for three million people to drink. That's not bad. (laughs) Now, in our day and age, he could have walked up to the Torrens, lifted up his staff, and it parts. Or we could just walk across in the mud. But, you know, it's... uh, (laughs) He had real rivers back then. The Red Sea. He lifted up his staff and parted the Red Sea. 
And that same staff he lifted up when Israel was fighting a battle. And every time he held the staff up, Israel would win. Every time he dropped it, they would start to lose. This staff, God had done something to take it from a shepherd's staff to a tool for the miraculous. Some of you know where I'm going with this, don't you? Yeah. So are we going to be vigilant to not just use what God's put in our hands? The first question is what's in your hand? But are we going to submit what's in our hand to God and see what he can do? What if God got a hold of something that seems as boring as a shepherd's staff and turned it into a tool for the miraculous? What if there's a purpose in the things God's put in your life that you haven't even thought of yet? Like a shepherd's staff turning into a snake. Maybe God's put something in your life that you're thinking is mundane, you're thinking it's ordinary, you're thinking, but that's, that's just me, it's just what I've got. But God wants to do something exceptional with it, yeah. something different, something that hasn't been done before. So what would happen if we were to yield to God? I just want to revisit the, uh, the feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6 quickly. So here we have all these people, they're hungry. In verse 5, Jesus says that awesome question, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And he asked this only to test them, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have just a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? You know, sometimes we're reading this, this parable and we think about maybe the lack of faith. You know, the disciples didn't know what to do. Oh dear, how are we going to feed them all? But what about this guy? He actually did something. It wasn't much. It was just, just a boy with five small loaves and two fish. How did he find him in the crowd? I'll tell you how. You just look for a person sitting there and there's no one around them because they can smell fish. It's easy. So he thought, oh, he must have food. Let's go find him. Five loaves and two fish seem like insignificant, something you wouldn't even bother bringing to Jesus if he's wanted to feed 5,000 people. Like, can't he just rain down manna from heaven like they did in the Old Testament? I mean, that'd be easy, God. But no, he took this seemingly small thing and in the hands of Jesus, it fed the entire multitude with 12 baskets left over. 12 baskets, not, not little baskets. Like, big baskets full of leftovers. What an abundant God. But it's because something small that was in their hand was submitted to God and God did something incredible with it. So a little in the hands of God can do more than we could imagine. So I want to read from Romans 12, uh, from verse 1. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And when it talks about offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, it's not just talking about our physical body. It's talking about our entire being. Yeah. We present them as a living sacrifice. We lay it on the altar before God and say, God, all that I have, all that I am, 
I give it to you for your purpose, for your will, for your glory. That's what it is to be a living sacrifice. It's, a, it's everything. It's our skills. It's our talents. It's our thoughts. It's our emotions. It's our character. Everything we are, a living sacrifice, it's brought to God, laid down for him to do what he wants. And from verse 2, it says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather look, sorry, rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. So the significant thing here is that we're told not to look around. We're not comparing ourselves with those around us. Just because you don't have what seems like much in your hand and the person over here has something that seems so much greater, take your eyes off of that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they've got something a tenth of what you've got or something a thousand times bigger and greater. What matters is what's in your hand. Not what's in someone else's hand. What's in your hand? And when we look at what's in our hand, don't, don't be full of pride. Don't be like, well, I know what I've got. <laughs> I bet you wish you could have what I've got. But, oh, you know, it's mine. I've got it. We can err on the side of being proud of what we've got. We can also err on the side of saying, well, mine's just nothing. You know, what could I do with this? It's, just, it's so small, it's so pitiful, it's so pathetic, that's all I've got. Both of those are wrong. But it says here, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourselves with, with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. With what God's given you, what's in your hand... Let's just mix that with faith, lay it on the altar and see what God can do. Romans 12.4 Just as each of us has one body with many members and those members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we are many from one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it. In proportion to his faith, if it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. You're saying the pattern? This, if it is, let him. It's all the way through this. And you can substitute what God's put in your hand. If it is growing business, then let him grow business. If it is helping people with meals, then help people with meals. If it is encouragement, then encourage. If it is you know, helping people get well as a doctor or nurse, then do it. And down in verse 11, it finishes off, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual further, ser further serving the Lord. Whatever God's put in our hand, let's just be diligent and use it. Not sit on it, let's use it. So if we bring what is in our hand and submit it to his will and purpose, who knows what we as a church could do in the hills, in the state, in the country. There's enough potential in this room to blow this whole country wide open with the grace of God, the hands and feet of God. We just got to do it. 
Yeah, just on that, we are, we are all called to full-time ministry. So when it says here, keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord, it doesn't say, those of you who work and are employed by the church, keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Full-time ministry is when you lay everything that's in you, everything you've got, and you say, God, I'm giving it to you for your will and purpose. That can be in the church, out the church. We are all called to full-time ministry. Every one of us. Now, I want to look at one last aspect here. This is the bit I'm a bit nervous about because uh, I was saying to Shane before I've been practicing this to try and get it right. In Exodus 4.10 to 17... Now, this is, this is continuing Moses' discussion with God. And I'm going to read this from a different translation this morning. And I'm not putting it on the screen. I've told Jaden to, to hold off unless I need it. Um, just so you can try and follow me. Okay, you ready? All right, this is Exodus 4, 10 to 17 in Hawaiian Pigeon. Moses tell Yahweh, hey, Yahweh, please, I'm not the kind of guy who know for talk real good. From small kid time till now, you stay, you stay tell stuff to me, you worker guy. But still yet, for me, as hard for talk, and I know can talk real good, you know what I mean. <laughs> Yahweh tell Moses, tink, who when make people so they can talk, oh, no can talk. Huh? Who when make people so they can see good or they no see Thus was me, Yahweh, when do all that. Go now, do what I when tell you. Whenever you gotta talk, I gonna help you them out. I gonna teach you what you gotta say. But Moses tell, please boss, send somebody you like for the do the work, but not me. <laughs> then Yahweh when come hoo hoo with Moses, that means angry, okay? <laughs> he tell Moses, what about you, brother guy, Aaron, the leader guy from the Levite, Ohana? I know easy for him to talk, right? Right now, he stay coming from Egypt already for meet you. When he see you, he gonna feel real good inside. <laughs> you gonna talk to your brother and tell him what he's supposed to say. I gonna help you and him talk good. And I gonna teach you guys what you gonna do. Aaron gonna be the talker guy for you, for talk to the people. He gonna be just like the mouth for you, and you're gonna talk to him just like you, God, but as me. And don't forget your walking stick. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Make sure you carry them with you, because you're gonna use them for do some awesome kind things for show, for show you know God. So there you go. <laughs> so, uh, that's not the NIV. <laughs> um, but in the midst of all of that, what I, what I want you to hear, Moses had an objection about his speech. That's why I chose to use that, because he said, I can't talk properly. I can't talk. God, you want me to, to talk to people? I, I cannot talk. <laughs> he gave an excuse because this was something that was in his hand, in his life, as a weakness. And he tried to use it as an excuse. He saw his speech as a lack and something that God therefore couldn't use and he'd need something else to substitute. 
And God's first response in Exodus 4.12, back to the NIV, he said, Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. So God's solution to him having weakness in his life was, I'm going to help you. I'm going to use you. I'll show you what to say. I'll help you use that lack in your life and I'll put my power in it. God didn't validate his weakness and preferred to show his strength through it. However, Moses objected again. And this time God actually listened to his request, but it says God was angry with Moses. He was hoo-hoo. <laughs> I was hoo-hoo with you. He was angry with Moses because Moses wouldn't let God use his weakness. Moses wanted something tangible to fill his weakness. He, did, he, he didn't trust God with that aspect. I mean, Moses is an incredible hero. He, he did incredible things. He led all these people out of Egypt. But what would have happened if he'd said yes to God in this? Would Aaron have been in the back seat? We wouldn't hear much about him until the priesthood because Moses was speaking directly to Pharaoh. He didn't have to say to Aaron, this is what God says. I don't know. We may never know. But this passage speaks to us about things we have in our hands that are not strengths. Things we'd rather forget about, gaps in our ability, gaps in our knowledge and our experience and aptitude. But these things, just as well as the strengths in our life, these also need to be submitted to God. We need to bring these to the altar of God as well. What would happen if God got a hold of our weaknesses? In 2 Corinthians 12, 7, this is the Apostle Paul talking. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So it's in our weaknesses that we really see God move and in our strength. It's not, it's not one or the other. But I want you to hear this morning that those things that we use to disqualify ourselves, I do this. We say, God, but I don't have that, or I can't do that, or I'm just not made like that. And we use that as an excuse before God. But God's saying, that's exactly right. I made you like that because that's where my power can be shown. Because they'll know it's not you. They'll know you can't do that. They'll know that there's got to be something else going on in your life, and it's called God. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. And we have the Holy Spirit in us to enable us and to empower us despite our insufficiencies. So why don't you stand with me this morning? Why did I ask a question? Stand with me this morning. That's better. (laughs) Questions are funny things. I just want you to 
to close your eyes. I want you to spend a couple minutes with God right now. And I want to bring to you the same question that he asked Moses. What is in your hand? What is in your hand? What strengths are in your hand? What abilities are in your hand? What weaknesses are in your life? What things do we hold that we think God couldn't use me because of? All those things, strength and weaknesses combined, I want you right now to submit them to God. Why don't you just lift your hands? He made us. He made us individually with these, these traits, these gifts, these abilities, these seemingly flaws, these things that trip us up sometimes, but that's how God made us. And we're all the body of Christ together. If we bring what God's made us and put in His hands, imagine what He can do. Imagine the fire of God on your strengths. Imagine the power of God on your weakness. God, this morning, we stand here with our hands raised, with our hearts lifted, with our lives on the altar, and we're saying, God, we yield to you. Holy Spirit, we yield to you the things you put in our hands. We ask you to use them for your glory, for the furtherance of your kingdom, so we can touch our community with the power of God. We can be the hands and feet of God with the things you put in our hands. God, we bring them to you today. Lord, just as you did unexpected things with Moses, with his staff, God, I just pray today you would begin to do the unexpected in our lives as we bring to you what we've got and who we are and we mix that with faith and we see what God can do. God, we ask you to show us what you can do. Show us the walls coming down. Show us the circumstances changing. Show us the new ideas we have to transform our community, to transform business, to transform hospitals, to transform the areas in which we live and work. God, we give it to you and we ask God, make your name great. So you get the glory as we submit who you've created us to be into your hands, Jesus. Come on, let's just worship him a bit. Oh, praise your name, God. We worship you, God. We thank you for how you've created us. We thank you for what you've put in our lives. God, we offer it to you as a living sacrifice. The things you've put in our hearts, our minds, our lives, it's all yours, God. Jesus, Jesus. All for your glory, Jesus. God, we worship you. We worship you, God. We worship you, Jesus. God, I pray right now you start breathing that fresh life into who we are. Fresh life into what's in our hands. God, our faith and our expectation is you. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. 
praise your name. Praise your name. You know, just as we bring this service to a close, I want to just talk about one more question which Jesus asked. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 27, it said, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ. You might be here today, and you might have heard about God. You might have heard about church and heard about Christians and, and living a life for God. But is that just responding to the question, who do people say I am? It's, it's for other people, it's not for me. Well, today God wants to ask you the more pointed question, who do you say I am? Jesus is asking you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to show his power to you. He wants to show his goodness to you. He wants to extend his forgiveness to you. He wants to shower his grace on you. Who do you say he is? Is he just a historical figure? Is he just good for them but not for me? Or can I encourage you today to answer his question, say, Jesus, I want you to be my God. I want you to have my life. I want you to rule my life. I'm a mess. Or I think I can do it my own way, but God, I want you to be my God. If there's anyone like that this morning, you want to respond to that question, who do you say I am? By saying, I believe you are my God. I want you to be my God, Jesus. Why don't you lift your hand right now and I want to pray with you. So anyone here today, you say, Jesus, I want you in my life. I want to serve God with all I am and all he's given me. this morning just lift your hand quickly and I'll see it God we just thank you for what we've heard from your word this morning God we want to go out of here with the fire of God burning in us not doubting you but filled with faith for what you've put in us who you've created us to be and that you'll fill the gaps more abundantly and more powerfully than we could imagine if we would just trust you. So God, may this burn in our hearts as we go from this place today in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming out today. It's great to see so many people here. Remember next week, brunch is 9.30. Come early. Get fed up. Not, not fed up. Get up. <laughs> I didn't come out, right? Get uh, sustained. Fueled up. Thank you, Julie. Yeah. Get fueled up. We've got Summer Brunch. Invite Summer along. Kathy Green, just, just saying, she is awesome. You know, Richard and Kathy are incredible men, men and women of God from C3 Ride. And you don't want to miss it. She'll have something on, from, on her heart from God. And uh, let's get people here and let's hear it. Have a great week. Love you guys. We'll see you next week.